on those headphones. It's time for Naughty Talk with Sunny Lee Maine. Welcome to Naughty Talk with Sunny Lee Maine, the podcast that explores all things kinky in a sexy and inclusive way. This show is intended for mature audiences aged 18 and up, and some listeners may find it disturbing. We believe in risk-aware consensual kink here on the show, so if you do try things mentioned on the show at home, know that neither the show nor the cast are responsible for any accidents, injuries, legal or property damages that may occur while getting your kink on. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 3 of Naughty Talk. I'm Sunny, she, her, and I am here with Puppet, she, they. Thanks for joining us again. How are you today? I am good. I'm really glad to be back here. I've been excited since you reached out to me about coming back. Yay! Welcome back. Happy to have you. And just to refresh everybody's memory, Puppet is a kink educator who has led workshops on kink and disability for Ehu, Beguiled, and Charmed, all of which are really awesome um, hypnosis, hypno-kink conventions, and has graciously agreed to share some thoughts on the topic today. And Puppet is also a wonderful writer of erotica, and their most recent Sing For Me series is currently available for purchase on Amazon and under the author name Jamie Wagner, and also, I believe, directly on the publisher website, right? That's right. So uh, JMS Books, uh, jmsbooks.com. Excellent. And I just saw that the third book came out. I read the first two and I'm looking forward to it. Very steamy, queer, werewolf, paranormal, erotica stuff. Super fun. Everybody should check out her books. Thank you. And you also have a pretty big event coming up, if I recall. I do. Uh, So we're going to be talking today about kink and disabilities and Uh, I've been doing workshops on this at several conventions in the hypnosis community, as well as a few other places, and found out yesterday that uh, I and my friend Hybrid Faye, who helped me develop this, will be doing our workshop talk at Kink Between the Lines, which is uh, the weekend of November 11th. Uh, So really looking forward to that, really excited to be able to kind of open this up to a broader audience. Yay. And that's a virtual event that anybody can attend, right? It is. Um, It is a virtual event. They also offer some scholarships for people who may not be able to afford it normally. Uh, So they are talking a lot about uh, kink and placing a higher value on diversity and kind of opening up more marginalized perspectives. So, you know, conversations about race, conversations about mental health, about disability, obviously, gender, age, uh, sexuality, uh, but also things like socioeconomic status, trauma, you know, religion. Are you a parent? Are you affected by HIV or another STI? Um, How all of those can come into play and intersect when you're trying to do BDSM kink and be part of the community. Super important. Do you want to say anything about what your workshop in particular focuses on? So with our kink and disabilities, uh, we talk a lot about accessibility and both ways to make things more accessible and considerations that people sometimes need to give themselves to Uh, accommodate their needs that sometimes people don't always think to do. That sounds like a really excellent segue to what we're going to be talking about today. So, you know, I'd love to start by just sort of getting your thoughts on what do we even mean when we say the word disability? It's definitely not just any one thing. It's not always something that's outwardly visible at all to other people. You know, so what do we mean when we say that word? Uh, So it is kind of a loaded word, and the best definition I have heard uh, was from someone who said, you know, a disability is anything uh, that you may need accommodation for to go about your daily life. Uh, And we don't always think about that, you know, the obvious image is somebody who is 
using a mobility device who is in a wheelchair or might have a mental health issue or uh, a neurodivergence issue. But, you know, I wear glasses. Strictly speaking, I'm lucky enough that I can walk and get around and drive without my glasses, even if I'm a little nearsighted. But technically, I need those to work and to see normally and to not have to squint at things. (laughs) And that legally makes me disabled. Uh, A lot of people don't think about the fact that we have so many people that wear glasses who would never think of themselves as disabled, yet they are. I definitely think that it's something that is both extremely common, you know, to need an accommodation in some area of life and um, also deeply personal. And I think that each person, each individual really sort of has the the right to identify themselves, just like, you know, when we talk about kink roles and identities or, you know, sexual orientation to identify any way that feels right to them. Also, just kind of keeping in mind that two people who might need accommodations in a similar area may not identify the same way. Absolutely. Yes. And, you know, I was thinking about it when we were kind of preparing to do this talk because, you know, I personally am someone who struggles with a lot of neurological issues. Um, I have really severe migraines and it causes, you know, weakness when they happen on one side of my body and vertigo and all kinds of unpleasant symptoms that make me fall over. And so, you know, sometimes just going into a grocery store, that is that is probably like my worst nightmare for errands to run because of all the sensory stuff. Um, you know, fluorescent lights and just the motion and the music playing and voices and, you know, it's a lot. But outwardly, somebody looking at me probably wouldn't be aware of that. And, um, you know, ability or disability can be something that is really invisible. And so I just think it's important to bring some of these things into the light so that folks who are hosting events and, you know, aiming to have inclusive events and that sort of thing are are really thinking about all the possibilities. Yeah. And it can be remarkable just how many ways we can make things better for everybody just by thinking about how we set up our spaces. Um, The obvious joke is, or I guess I shouldn't say a joke, but the obvious reference is a curb cut, you know, so many people use those every day walking around a city or going in and out of a parking lot or whatever. And for the folks that are using a stroller or carrying a cart for their groceries or using a bike, you know, they're not necessarily thinking, Oh, I'm glad they have this here for a wheelchair user. But for somebody who is a wheelchair user, it's like, this helps me out and helps me get in and out of places with less trouble and just so happens to make life easier for everybody else around me too. And also can be, you know, a major barrier if it's not there, even though it's something that a lot of people don't take notice of. Yeah. Uh, Is it okay if I tell one of those don't do this type stories that we talked about a little bit earlier? Yeah. I mean, I really think to kind of, we should really kick it off with a cautionary tale because I I think that for our listeners, it's important to understand why it's so important to have these conversations and sometimes telling the horror stories, like the things gone terribly wrong, you know, that is a good place to start. So we know what it is that we're working to avoid. Yeah. So I was at an event, uh, about two months ago now, which hardly feels like it's been that much time at all, but it was at a hotel. We were using the hotel's conference center. They had an area that was marked for accessible bathrooms and had a sign next to the door that said handicap restrooms. I went to go use the restroom and was not using my chair that day. I was getting around with a cane, fortunately, 
but found out that to get into the handicap accessible restrooms, you had to pull open a door that had no power assistance, no push to open button. If I had been in my chair, especially because it was down a little hallway to get to the bathroom, I would not have been able to use it. I would not have been able to open the door from my chair and anybody else who needed to use that, who was a wheelchair user or had a walker or otherwise had difficulty would have had difficulty, you know, pulling open the door or backing up at the same time would have been stuck or at very least would have had to go to another part of the hotel and see if there was a bathroom there that was actually accessible. Um, so there can be things like that where just because, you know, I'm sure, and I did go in and they had a handicap stall. So I'm sure they never thought about it beyond just, okay, we have a handicap stall in the bathroom, therefore it's accessible. But if they had had somebody actually look at this who was disabled or was looking at it from a disabled perspective, I suspect they would have been looking at that and saying, no, no, it isn't. Uh, and I had a similar experience in a building that I used to work in. My company was leasing a building from another company and I was sent over there to work as part of a project and their handicap accessible bathroom was just a regular stall that had a handicap sticker put on the door. So there was nothing I could use to transfer to the toilet. There was not enough room to get my chair through the stall door and basically no way to easily maneuver with it. So despite it being, you know, on paper an accessible space, it really wasn't. And I'm sure it was all done with the best of intentions, but really was not actually up to what was needed. Mm, I think you might be giving them a lot of credit there, (laughs) a lot of flexibility. I'm trying, you know me, I try to see the, I try to look for the best in other people, even when I'm, often left disappointed. (laughs) You know, it's an important point, though, because I feel like it's one thing to say, okay, you know, I'm checking these boxes. And so like my business or whatever it is, is like meeting, I don't know, legal requirements or, or whatever it is, I'm checking these boxes. But it's another thing entirely to actually stop and think. And this is sort of what I'm hoping folks who are going to be, you know, hosting kink events, for example, will think about is that it's not just about checking a box to say, you know, okay, pat myself on the back. I, I did this thing. It's about wanting to have an event that's truly inclusive and where everybody not only is able to have sort of like the bare minimum to be able to come, but where they feel comfortable and they want to come and they want to participate because they know that the goal is you know, for everyone to really be included. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, In a lot of ways, you know, it's the difference between somebody attending your event once and somebody coming back year after year uh, or month after month, if you're doing like a munch or something really can make all the difference. And not just the person who might be directly affected by the choices, but people who care about that person. You know, if I went to an event that was not accessible to someone else that I was attending with or, you know, just that I I witnessed that the Mm -hmm. event was not accessible, it would make me, even if I was able to go um, comfortably myself, less likely to want to attend in the future because I would feel like, you know what, these aren't really thoughtful people organizing this event. Yeah. And it it really can help. And Sometimes it is just the simplest things. Uh, For a more positive example, I went to a play party uh, that was being hosted by a kink group. And in addition to having, uh, they had a dedicated quiet room for people who needed it for their aftercare or their recovery. Uh, But even when I went to go get some food that they had set up, everything was labeled with ingredients. Uh, There was warnings about, you know, food allergies and all the serving utensils were kept separate to make sure there wouldn't be cross-contamination, at least, you know, ideally. (laughs) Um, But that was a really simple 
really easy thing that I'm sure most people wouldn't think about, but my partner has a nut allergy and being able to go to that event with her and tell her, Hey, I got you this and you should not get, you know, this dip because they mentioned it's got almonds in it and being able to warn her is such an important and really powerful thing that it's a small little act, but it pays off. I can definitely empathize as someone who (laughs) one of the many gifts that I've received this decade is a walnut allergy. (laughs) So I never had a nut allergy as a child. And um, recently that's been a thing. I don't know, maybe because I've been hiding out (laughs) due to COVID and I haven't been exposed to walnuts. I have no idea. Um, But yes, you know, it can be such a small thing that can make such a difference in someone's experience. And you know, kind of transitioning to the things that we can do to better plan events, better plan classes. I know that I personally, I've been teaching a lot of classes lately and I'm really trying to think about different ways in which the classes can be accessible and not just the class, but how I can present the material so that whatever it is that I'm teaching might be able to you know, be brought into people's private play spaces later, since that's the whole point of a class in a way that is accessible. And Mm. I've really been impressed. Um, A lot of the servers that I've been in that are supporting classes like the Constellation server, you know, they really make an effort to do things like, for example, request that a volunteer, um, they not only turn the captions on, but request a volunteer to correct them to make sure that someone who can't hear the audio is still, you know, getting correct information, that sort of thing. And, you know, I I recently did a class on sensual movement and dance for trance, so hypnosis and movement class. And, you know, I really challenged myself to not just think about what was going on in my body today and what was going to work for my body, but how could other people with different levels of mobility make use of this and, you know, to include demonstrations that were standing, that were supported by a piece of furniture, that were supported by a wall or the floor, things that didn't include any movement at all, but used music as a substitute and also things like sensory warnings. I tried really hard not to speak over any music so that if anybody felt like, you know, music was uncomfortable, they could listen to me speak and then mute their audio. I like to give a lot of like sensory warnings in my classes, that kind of thing. So I definitely have seen, at least in the circles that I travel in, and, you know, I'm participating myself as much as possible, a movement towards everybody trying to make their content more accessible, but I also realize that it's because I hang out with a pretty wonderful crowd. (laughs) And so, you know, and that's a great thing. Uh, But I do think, you know, there has been, I don't want to say a push because that's not really quite the right way to look at it. But I think there have been more and more people aware of the fact that, you know, as I put it, and as I found out recently, an artist has on a bumper sticker Uh, disabled people like to fuck too. (laughs) And so, you know, people realizing, Hey, we're here in the community. And also to a certain extent, you know, like you kind of alluded to with the walnut allergy, a lot of us have gone through COVID and have had either side effects from that or just over the last couple of years, you know, we're all getting older (laughs) to say it, but you know, for some of us, we're realizing, oh, I am, you know, having issues with my mobility or, oh, my eyesight is getting worse or, oh, I'm, oh, I played drums in a rock band and I'm finally going a little bit deaf. Um, you know, we're realizing how many people around us, including ourselves, need these things or are helped by these things. Um, I'm personally choosing to reverse age. <laughs> you know, I try that. I mean, I am on HRT. You want to think that it's going to do a little bit of winding the clock back, but mm-hmm. it's hard to find a reliable tool for that. 
You know, I find that it involves like the candles on your birthday cake. So like when you decide it's time, you just start walking them backwards and then it, then it counts, you know? Mm-hmm. Yes, but I, I, I mean, I've been going to events for quite a long time. And I, I have to say that even, you know, just in the past few years, I've really seen a dramatic increase in the attention to this sort of thing, even at the same event, like having attended the same event a couple of times each time I attend AC Progress. And that's a really positive thing. And I think a really hopeful thing to be seeing. It's definitely something that I take notice of. And, you know, also when I see someone else who's incorporated something that was really helpful or that's been done really well to learn from it and to then try to fold that into my own practices so that I continue to evolve and to do better as well. And that's actually one of the most wonderful things about doing the kink and disabilities talks. Uh, Every time we've done these talks, I learn something. I have somebody either bring something up or somebody asks a question and I need to find out the answer for them. Or somebody mentions a practice that they've seen and I'm like, Oh, that's really great. And I can take that and I can, you know, like you said, I can incorporate it and I can try to add that in and continue to use that, uh, continue to spread the word in a lot of cases. And it's so nice to get that opportunity. And one of the things I love about doing this is that I'm always learning too. And one of the things that I wanted to ask you to talk about a little bit is, you know, we could certainly, and and we might, we could certainly list a lot of things that everyone can do to make events more accessible. But I think that one of the things that we don't talk about enough is how to have that conversation in the first place. So when you're thinking about how to make an event or even in a private setting, a scene more accessible, how would you recommend approaching a conversation about what somebody's needs might be? So what I suggest for, you know, a private conversation, or if you're doing something where you might want to play with somebody in a scene or at a setting, like a play party is, you know, you're going to probably have some get to know you discussion as part of negotiating and figuring out what you want. And this is a great opportunity and it doesn't have to be like, Oh, I need to tell you about these issues. It can be as simple as, Hey, I'm really looking forward to you flogging me, but could you avoid my right shoulder? It's bugging me a lot today. Uh, Or, you know, I want to get tied up, but I need to make sure that I can support my own weight because if I start to lose that, it'll hurt my joints or I absolutely want you to hypnotize me and make, make me drop into trance, but please don't let me, you know, fold myself in half, you know, please catch me if I start to, to slump or to fall over. (laughs) And when you're talking about an event, you know, I think there's a few different ways you can think about it. And it can be, again, really simple stuff. If you're going to host like a play party or going to do a convention or going to do like some form of a get together, go and say, okay, if we want to do it at this person's house, for example, do they have access that requires stairs or can you get into the house without needing to take stairs? If they're going to set up a really nice dungeon space in their, say, let's say their, their attic, like how hard is it to get from the attic from the first floor if you don't do stairs well? If you're going to go into a space, you know, to go back to the bathrooms thing, if they say they have accessible bathrooms, take a look at them, you know, make sure they're actually really accessible. If you wanted to go look at, you know, a venue for a munch, like a restaurant, you know, is it a place that, for example, has peanuts all over the floor because you can get peanuts in a bucket and eat them, which might be difficult for some people. Uh, Is it a place where, again, you can just walk in or do you have to take some steps? If it's a space that has more than one level, is there an elevator? Some of this can just be part of your recon, especially if you're looking to build a larger event or something that may be 
a regular community space, you know, just kind of keeping those in mind goes a long way. And I think you touched on something really important, which is that if you're having a high quality consent negotiation anyway, a lot of these things are going to come up in conversation really naturally. And in the same way that you can advocate for yourself in that negotiation and say, these are the things that I need today. Those are things that you can also ask. You can say things like, okay, we're going to do this impact scene. You should be asking, regardless you know, of ability, what are the areas of your body where it is okay to use this implement? Where is it okay to touch you? you know, is it okay to bind you in these positions? So if you're doing a really good kink negotiation, I think that a lot of these things are going to come up really sort of naturally in private conversation. And then, you know, on a, a bigger scale with an event, people might be thinking, okay, I really want to host an event in my home. Maybe, you know, all of these things might not be possible, but I only have this one home. But I think that you can still think about it in ways you can do things like one, you can communicate up front. This is the situation for the space and just ask, is there anything I can do to make this easier for anybody who wants to attend and just be open to having individual conversations with people if they reach out? You know, you might not be able to, for example, change the number of stairs that it takes to get into your home, but, you know, based on this is a small event in your private home who's attending, maybe you do decide, you know what, I'm just going to rearrange some things so that I can keep all of, you know, the main activity on the ground level and, um, and not up the stairs, that sort of thing. You don't necessarily have to completely rebuild your home or cancel your party, but you can do the best you can to, you know, work with what you've got. Yeah. And, you know, I, in my own case, even before I needed a wheelchair, I had a friend who was very close to us who visited regularly and she had a blood clot and ended up needing to use a wheelchair from that point on. And so I, you know, like I said, I couldn't move necessarily. And at the time I was living in an apartment, so I couldn't just build something, but I went online and I was able to find basically a portable ramp that I could buy. You know, it cost me some money, but it let her come over to our place and just roll up the ramp and be able to get into our living room as opposed to, you know, having to either transfer out of the chair and then pull the chair inside manually or not be able to come over at all. So worth the investment. Yeah, I definitely think it feels like it's a where there's a will, there's a way sort of situation. There are definitely things that you can do, you know, to work with the space that you have. And, you know, if it's a really big event and there are going to be a lot of people there and maybe people you don't know and you can't, you know, plan for individually, Yes, like there are just some spaces that are not created equal. And if something mm. is really not accessible, maybe think about seeing if there's another local restaurant with a better space that's willing to host your munch, that sort of thing, or yeah. hotel to host your convention. Yeah. And you know, I know it can definitely be a headache, especially when you have a situation like a hotel for a convention. I know those relationships are very hard to cultivate and to keep. But at the same time, if you find yourself losing more attendees because of the venue than you're keeping, you know, it does pay off in the long run. And it's also something where if you investigate those things from the get-go, then you're starting to build a rapport and build a relationship with a venue that started off on a good footing because having to switch after an event has been going on in the same place for three years in a row, that's a lot more difficult than choosing a good spot to start with. Yeah, absolutely. Do you want to just give us like a mini wish list for planning? What are some of the most important things to consider? Yeah, my top list first is accessibility to the space. So, you know, can somebody get in if they have limited mobility that can be anywhere from, is there a curb cut and 
a door that either is powered or can be held open for them so that they can get in using a wheelchair or a walker to, you know, things like, can they open the bathroom door without running into trouble? I, I feel bad that I'm harping on that, but it was just like, that was a really what the hell moment that just stuck with me for the whole event. And such an essential thing, like being able to use the restroom. It's so important and so basic. If you're going to be doing a venue that's going to have lights and sound, um, especially like if you're hosting a lunch in a restaurant or you're going to be doing a play party that has music and might have like TVs on, is there a way to adjust volume if people are having difficulty hearing? Is there a way to, if there's flashing lights, are they stuff like if you're at a, a dance venue or something, do they have strobes that might be a problem for people? And if so, can you, you know, do you have a way to reach out to the management or somebody to ask, hey, can we turn those off or turn them down? Food allergies, like I mentioned, if you're doing any kind of an event with food, whether that's hosting a munch or having food for after a play party or whatever, finding out can you be aware of what's in things and can you mark stuff for food allergies? If, especially if you know there's people coming who may have an issue. And I would also just say quiet spaces in pretty much any kink event I've ever done, trying to give people a space for some quiet and some cool, cool down and some aftercare has always been such a nice thing. And it's so good to have because especially if you're doing something that might get into being edgy or, you know, stuff that gets really intense, having a space nearby where you don't have to say, Oh, I have to go all the way back to my hotel room or, Oh, I'm going to have to go back home to try to have a space where I can come down and that I can, you know, work through this is really good. And it can be the difference between somebody taking a few minutes in that quiet space with their partner or their dom or whoever they did the scene with and getting a chance to decompress and then wanting to do more play later versus somebody going through a scene, realizing they need a space that isn't available and not coming back. I think those are some great tips. And I just encourage people to think about, you know, when you are going to go out and have a good time, what are all of the things that you anticipate being able to do to make that experience comfortable and pleasant? Like, do you expect that you're going to be able to access a food and beverage station, that you're going to be able to use the restroom, that you're going to be able to step outside if you need air and easily get back in? You know, just do you need, you know, a place to sit down that's going to be comfortable? And then think about one, does the space have all of these things? And then are all of these things going to be accessible to somebody who's walking in, someone who might be utilizing a walker or a wheelchair? You know, I think just thinking about the basic necessities that you need to get through an event to have a good time, using that to make your checklist, and then, you know, evaluating those things for accessibility is a really great place to start. Yeah, absolutely. And like in my case, you know, getting water after a scene is always important. So, you know, is there either, you know, a space where we can fill up a water bottle or get a glass or are there water bottles that can be handed over to somebody? Like one of the smartest things I think I ever brought to a play party was just a pack of like 48 bottles of water. I was everybody's best friend. (laughs) Um, I would want somewhere potentially with some quiet. I would want a place where I can sit and be comfortable Um, and maybe, you know, a space where, like you said, I can get a little fresh air if I need to. I think all those are great ideas. And I would say those are all things that I would like to have when I go out. The other thing I would think about is in my particular case, is there space where I can lie down or stretch out if I need to? Because one of the things that I do deal with is I have rheumatoid arthritis. And if I start flaring out, um, or flaring up, 
it sometimes I just need to lie down and stretch out and just let my joints settle down and not try to stress them out and then go from there. Um, and it's also something you can think about when you're planning a scene or going to play with somebody, you know, if you know you're going to play with somebody who has difficulty kneeling, but you can give them like a little padded bench or a chair and still kind of get that feeling of submission and of putting them in their place by, you know, commanding them to sit or commanding them to go to the bench. Uh, You can still get some of that power exchange and some of those same vibes without making them uncomfortable. Yeah. And I'm definitely acutely aware of the, you know, personally, the sensory stuff that you're talking about. And I think that if you have more than one room in your space, allowing each room to have a slightly different vibe, like it's okay to have a space that, you know, has strobe lights or has music or is a really intense sensory experience, but maybe don't put all of the dungeon equipment for the evening in that room, maybe put some of it in a space that doesn't have those things so that Mm. people can sort of choose their own adventure. And I mean, it's something I like to do when I teach classes. I like to have opportunities to choose your own adventure, you know, turn the video on or off, turn the sound on or off, um, you know, participate in this way or don't so that there's really a lot of different opportunities to get involved or not, depending on individual comfort levels. And I mean, that's not just having to do with ability. That's just having to do, I think, with having a good class with, you know, consent for everybody who's participating. But, you know, if you have a couple of rooms to work with, maybe think about, you know, spreading out some of the more popular and fun things that you're going to have at your event in the different types of spaces. Don't put all of the water in the room with the strobe lights, that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one thing that I will, I'll compliment and the same, oddly enough, the same event that had the problems with the bathrooms, uh, they offered multiple dungeon spaces. They had one dungeon space that was mostly the heavier equipment, you know, the St. Andrew's cross and the spanking bench and, some impact play toys that were available for people to use. Uh, But they also had another room that was marked as kind of the quieter dungeon. Uh, And they still had some toys and mats and they still had a dungeon monitor keeping an eye on it. But it was kind of known that if you're doing quieter play or you want to do uh, hypno play or stuff that's more, going to be more about the interpersonal play than necessarily the hardware that they recommended using that room. Um, And both of them also had quick access to what they called their cuddle room so that they could let somebody go in there and decompress and get aftercare regardless of what they'd been doing. So I thought that was actually a really well done part of it. Absolutely. Yeah, I definitely, I don't have a, a current club that I would like claim as like being my, my current club anymore. Not since the pandemic, I'm going to leave my house eventually. I keep saying that, but, um, I used to go to a club on a regular basis, which if I understand correctly has since gotten a new location after the pandemic. And I haven't been to check out the new space, but it was similar to that. There was, you know, an area with a bar and music and a dance floor and colored lights. And then there were several different dungeon spaces and all of them had a mix of equipment. And some of them were small and very quiet and some of them were louder and flashier. And so you really had an opportunity and you could switch it up. So, you know, for me with all my sensory stuff with the migraines, I can tolerate some stuff, you know, for like 20 minutes or half an hour and then I need to have a break. And so being able to kind of move through the different spaces was definitely something that was really helpful. In general, you know, they did a reasonable job of having things that were essential, like things to clean equipment and 
restrooms and water and things like that were in places where you didn't necessarily have to be in the worst of the sensory stuff to access them. Yeah, I think that's wonderful. I think that's an excellent way to do it. Right. Well, I'm really glad we're talking about this. Would you like to maybe take it out with one more story about either an event or even like a negotiation that really went well? Yeah. Um, I had actually uh, a case where I'm going to call myself out where I didn't do something and then it led to something better Uh, at that event that I was mentioning in June, I had two scenes with somebody the first time we did what we thought was pretty good negotiation, but I did not ask her about, you know, are you a flopper? And when I did uh, hypnotize her, uh, spoiler alert, I do hypno kink um, in case that wasn't already obvious. Um, (laughs) I see where this is going. (laughs) She, wanted to, you know, her body wanted to kind of lean forward. And because we hadn't talked about me uh, doing anything to touch or move her around, I just let her move the way she wanted to move. And I didn't think to say, you know, you can move and do whatever you need to, to be comfortable. And she ended up calling a yellow at a certain point because she realized her back was hurting and she needed to shift around and we hadn't really discussed what to do. So, you know, we stopped the scene. We talked about it. I apologized for not realizing that this was going to be a problem. And we cleaned that, you know, we kind of worked that out and we decided to end that particular scene there. But the following day, there was something we were both interested in and she got a hold of me and said, Hey, do you want to do another scene? I said, absolutely. We talked through, <laughs> okay, what should I do if you flop this time? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it worked out that basically instead of letting her just flop forward, uh, basically what we worked out was that I kind of stepped in and gave her some support. And because of the nature of the scene we were doing, she was going to want to lie down on the bed anyway. So I just helped her get to the bed and lie on her side. And it worked out perfectly. And we ended up having a really good scene and we both had a really good experience that might not have happened if we hadn't run into a hiccup and talked about it and worked through what to do. And honestly, you know, that's why we've been talking a lot about our, our naughty talk rule number two shit happens, because I just want to normalize for folks that are listening that things happen that you don't account for. And the point is to go in with your, you know, risk aware consensual kink to have your negotiation to try to plan for the eventualities that you can predict. But because you know, you did your best with that negotiation, but because you also had safe words, because you used them properly, because you were able to, you know, trust each other to one, use the safe word if needed, and two, to stop the scene and have a conversation when the safe word was called, you know, there wasn't a catastrophic outcome. And then, you know, you were able to learn from it. And sometimes in a situation like that, that's all that it takes is a little bit of communication. Hey, we didn't predict this or we didn't account for it. Let's just, you know, clarify what we agree to do in this situation. And sometimes you can even move on with your scene or sometimes the the better thing to do in that situation is to move straight to aftercare. And then, you know what, you've established a little bit more trust with that person. They were able to seek you out the next day because they knew, you know, that you would respect their limits and felt comfortable enough to, you know, do another scene with you. So even though there was a little bit of an oops, it's one of those moments where you can learn and you can do something better the next time and, you know, work on rapport with the person that you're playing with. So very well done. I would have a round of applause, but we don't really do like (laughs) sound effects on the show, but I can hear it in my head. 
Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so thanks for having this talk with me. I think it's a, a really important topic and I'm really glad that we're going to have it on the show. And I, I do hope we'll have you on again in the future. Absolutely. Uh, I've enjoyed both times I've been on. Would love to come back again. You know, just bring me up anytime. Yay. Those California vibes can only mean it's time for our West Coast correspondent, Enigma. Next up, I'm here with Enigma. He, him, our West Coast correspondent. I'm really excited <laughs> to have one of those. I, I, I feel like an official reporter now for the for the channel. I'm, I'm the West Coast uh, representative. <laughs> yes! It's going to be awesome. I'm really excited that we're sort of expanding the show and, you know, just sort of including voices from all over the country. Maybe we'll take it international next. It'll be a fun time. Very exciting. Very exciting. For today, we decided that we would actually choose a West Coast specific topic. And you were actually going to tell us a little bit about some of the best clubs for kink in LA. What have you got for us? Yeah, so LA is a very unique city, if you didn't know, uh, but it's a, also a unique city in that it has a pretty wide variety of clubs. What you'll find in a lot of other cities in a lot of other states is uh, there might be one club, but it's it's a lot harder to get into in that they, you have to go to munches, you have to be vetted, like it's a very heavy, ex- kind of exclusive circle. But LA, like I said, has a lot of variety to it. So there are several smaller clubs around LA that are private. Some can be rented. The main one that comes to mind is one called Dungeon East. There was a Dungeon West, but that was unfortunately a COVID demise. There are a few houses that host events around LA. Most most you must be vetted in some way before you can just go. Like you have to know somebody to get in. Uh, but the one that I know best and one that I actually attend is called uh, the Alfheim Society. If you're a nerd, you get that. It, it sounds super serious, but it's a big nerdy alt lifestyle house. But those are kind of like you have like the the small exclusive dungeons and the small exclusive house parties. Um, those are very much you have to be vetted or you're renting the space. And so there's kind of a cost hurdle to get into those or a cost or vetting hurdle to get into. Um, But something that LA has that is unique to a lot of other major cities is there are several major brick and mortar dungeons that is establishments that are dedicated to um, kink, BDSM, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So the first one I'm going to talk about, um, this one is called Sanctuary LA. This is a pro kink dungeon that will hold that holds regular parties and events. Um, And by pro, I mean that outside of parties, um, you are able to go and reserve time with uh, professional top subs and switches to practice BDSM. Um, This is not a brothel. There is no sex acts being exchanged. It is just kink and BDSM being exchanged and power dynamics being explored. But you can get that beating that you've always wanted uh, from somebody who knows what they are doing. Um, Sanctuary is very good about vetting and getting very qualified people to come in and participate and be part of their their pro um, pool of, of people. Um, now, I will note something on Sanctuary. It is currently moving locations. <laughs> if anybody listening has ever run a kink organization, you know that sometimes you kind of have to be a little uh, migrant and pop around a bit um, as people get sick of what you do and don't really know what you do and all that sort of thing. So Sanctuary is currently in transit, but they, uh, from what I understand, they do have a property that they are moving into, hopefully before the end of the year. And so definitely keep an eye out for them on all of their social medias. Maybe by the time this airs, it'll be up and running. Well, there you go. Yes, exactly. If, definitely check them out. They are on, uh, I know they're very active on Twitter, Instagram, and then of course, Facebook or FetLife, excuse me, <laughs> not Facebook. Anyway, um, so the second dungeon I want to talk about, uh, this one is a definitely a newer dungeon. Um, it, <laughs> they tried to open it right before COVID hit, and then, of course, COVID hit. And so um, they hit kind of a bumpy start. But this one is called 910 WeHo. This is a, I would call it a, a higher-end kink and play space. This is uh, set up just off the Santa Monica Strip. So if you ever come to LA, it's right in kind of the, the gay bar section of, of Santa Monica. 
uh, Boulevard. And they host a lot of kinky, big kinky events, get togethers, and that they also have like intimate movie nights and such. It is, is definitely a varied space with what kinds of events they host there. The first time I walked in, like I, I've been to several like kink play spaces and dungeons and they're all, they're all very like black is the main color. And they're, they're usually in some like warehouse district because that's where you get cheap rent and all that stuff. No, this is in basically a storefront off of a very rich street. And so it has a very different feel. Uh, me and a, a friend of mine were trying to get them to change the name to nine ten Donjon which is the French word for dungeon um, because of just how fancy it is. Like it's white walls with like orange lighting accents. And it's just, it's very, it's very plush. It, it, it doesn't feel like a dungeon, but it's, it's a very cool space and the location is great. So like if, if, if that sounds more like your speed, I definitely check that they are active and doing all sorts of parties every weekend. Um, and then the third one that I wanted to talk about, uh, I will preface this with I am bias. Uh, this is my home dungeon and the one that I know the most about. This one is called the Threshold Clubhouse or Threshold LA. There is a lot of history with Threshold, but it is one of the oldest LA uh, kink organizations. They are focused on education and newbies. So if you are new to LA, new to kink, um, Threshold is a is a great place for that. Uh, they have several parties specifically directed at those who are new to the lifestyle, but they are also good about having a pretty varied schedule of events that cover lots of different interests. Um, there's an age pay party, there's two nerd parties, there's a femdom party. Like I said, it's a very varied list of events. Each club is going to cater to different needs. Each dungeon for sure has its own vibe and flavor. So if you are visiting LA for a bit and can, and it can afford it, I suggest visiting each and seeing what you like. Yay. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> I, I know there was a lot, but I wanted to get like touch on all like the major ones that, that are out there. Yeah. So, I mean, let's, let's dig into it a little bit. So okay. number one was sanctuary mm-hmm. and um, something that you talked about, I think for the first two is that I think both of the first two require vetting to attend events. Right. And the last one. Yeah. Not- so, so, like there are a lot of house parties, but and there there are a few like major like house party places, but like yeah, you have to like either know somebody who goes or um, get to know people who are like live in the house or own the house or whatever. And then there are lots of the, the, what, the other thing I talked about is there's lots of like private dungeons that are rentable. So like if you wanted to host like a, a group of kinky friends at a dungeon, there are those that are out there for you to rent but they don't necessarily have a lot of like open facing parties um, like the, the, the three dungeons that I talked about. So for sanctuary, it sounds like that the most unique thing is that they have events that are open to the public, but also you can have an experience with a professional. So if you're looking Mm -hmm. for somebody to kind of show you the ropes in a safe and consensual <laughs> show you the ropes show you the yes ropes. look at i make jokes too you know um, <laughs> <laughs> um that might be a good way to get sort of like a, a one-on-one introduction with like a specific skill that you want to experience mm-hmm. that kind of thing so that's kind of special and unique to that location right yeah, like like if you're a, a wannabe rigger or you've never flogged anybody and you want to be sure to have a um, a sub or a bottom that is that can communicate while they're being flogged, going to one to a place like Sanctuary is a good place to do that. A lot of the like you'll be able to just message them and be like, hey, this is what I'm looking for, and then they can provide you with a couple of, of bottoms so that you can practice on and they will be there to like kind of communicate and talk to you. And that, and that, that is their job to, to do that. So yeah, sanctuary is definitely there for, for people who may, may be a little hesitant about just like jumping into a big party where it's a little harder to kind of uh, meet people. And there's a little bit more pressure. This kind of the pressure is off. You go in, it's, it's a little bit more transactional in how you, and how the relationship is set up. Right. It's a little bit more of a professional exchange than a social one. Yeah, and and that's why they're they're very strict about like the no sex thing. Like it is it is about kink, it is about power exchange. It is not about sex. It is not about um, that kind of intimate relationship. Um, and so, yeah, they 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 definitely draw the line there. And when you say expensive, what would a session set somebody back? Do you know offhand? I don't know offhand. It, it also varies uh, with the pro because like some of them, if they have more experience, it also depends on what you're actually looking for. Um, it, it, it's, it's 
it's kind of like you go get a massage. If you just get the basic massage from somebody who's just starting out versus somebody who's been doing it for 20 years, and you're also going to do some special stuff, like it's going to cost you more. So I don't know the prices offhand, but I know that they, they do have a website um, that you can go and kind of explore that. Got to look at the menu. It's like getting a pedicure and I pick like the fancy <laughs> pamper me silly service. Of course. <laughs> so. I mean, you could probably get something like that there. Um, it'd be very different than your normal pedicure, but you could definitely you could definitely get that. All right. And so then club number two, tell it's me the name one more time. 910 WeHo. Okay. I had the dungeon thing <laughs> stuck in my head. I was like, what is the problem? I know. I, I know. We, we, we try to get it stick, but like it just, the, the owner just was not, was not going oh, for it. <laughs> That's too funny. That's how I'm always going to think of it. And I probably will never remember <laughs> yes. the real name. But that's okay. I can listen back to this. No, one. no. I want you to walk in and be like, oh, this is 910 John Sean. And then he goes, he just like, Enigma. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm on board for that. <laughs> Maybe I'll just speak to them in French too on top of it. <laughs> I thought this was a French. Yeah, I thought respond. this was a French dungeon. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> Then you'll really be in trouble. Oh, um, no. Not, <laughs> not in trouble in the kink world. What? That won't end in fun. Anyway. <laughs> so when you were saying before, when you were referring mm-hmm. to houses, you're referring to a private residence, not like a kink house, kink family, yes, mother family. Yes. I'm talking about physical like homes that have been c- kind of converted into um, like event spaces. Got it. So like private homes mm-hmm, that host mm-hmm. play parties for people lucky enough to be on the invite list. We definitely have some clubs in New England that require vetting and vetting in the form of like needing a sponsor Mm -hmm. and you need to attend so many events with like basically a chaperone who's already a member, that kind of thing. And I have not spent any time at them because kink clubs in New England are really weird. So (laughs) there are a lot of laws about things like, for example, in Massachusetts, you can't consent to your own assault. And so that sounds like a good thing, you know, because it helps, you know, survivors of domestic violence, that kind of thing. And the laws were basically intended to, you know, like if the police intervened in an intimate partner violence situation, and the person being abused said, Oh, no, it's no big deal the police could still Mm -hmm. press charges. But in the mix of that, things like spanking technically became illegal. So I do not know of any really amazing clubs in Massachusetts where you can actually do things like impact. There are social clubs where sometimes kinky people hang out and then there are private parties in people's homes, but nothing that's like a real dungeon. And so most people in New England will travel to New York or they'll travel to, um, there are even a couple of clubs in Connecticut and Rhode Island where it's a little bit Mm -hmm. easier. And there was a club in Connecticut, I believe it was called the Society that I attended an event at, but they used to host like a lot of events with littles, like they used to do a little invasion, Mm -hmm. which I think was the event that I attended there that was really fun. And then... Then there are some clubs in Rhode Island, and they basically fall into two categories, which are like shit show, (laughs) where anybody can walk in the door, and there's very little policing, and there's a lot of fun, but there's also more Mm -hmm. risk. And then sort of exclusive, but I found that clubs that have the vetting, it's almost not worth it if you're a kinkster, because what they really are are swingers clubs, not BDSM clubs. And so... If you want to go to the club, you have to jump through hoops, attend three events, have a sponsor, do all of this. And then like maybe like once a month or every couple of months, they have Mm -hmm. one kink night and the rest is just sort of like Mm -hmm. vanilla swinging. And so you jump through these flaming hoops and then the odds that you can actually attend a party on the night that they're having kink night are slim to none. Yeah, there are definitely (laughs) um, what's interesting for L.A. is there's a there is very much a swinger scene and there's very much like just a uh, like a sex positive scene of of people and there's some overlap between the two communities but there's actually not a lot of it there's definitely kind of a line in the sand between the kink scene in la and the swinger scene in la uh with very little crossover yeah and i think that it's not terribly different here on this coast it's just a different sort of crowd and there's also a lot of differentiation between spaces that are for swinging that allow actual sex to take place on the premise and a lot of the kink and bdsm clubs do not allow certain sex acts or penetrative acts that sort of thing and i came across one club only in rhode island which allowed both oh wow 
Okay. Um, yeah. So it's it was a very interesting vibe. And I went a couple of times. I think I still have a membership card, but my understanding is that they also relocated during the pandemic. And I have not checked out the new space, mostly because I'm still too afraid to go into such a germy situation <laughs> with the pandemic being what it is. Mm-hmm. But I'm getting there. I'm starting to think about attending events again. I mean, being being cautious right now is, is very fair. Yeah, it sounds like the West Coast clubs are a little more fun. Maybe I'm gonna have to take a trip. I will. Out I will definitely um, get. Uh, I can at least get you in the Threshold and Alfheim. I don't. I don't know about the other ones, but th- Threshold is really good. Uh, th- I, I'm I, like I said before. Like I'm definitely biased with Threshold, but like there's no alcohol or like if if we think you're too inebriated, we will kick you out. There's it were it, it is a a member based club, but we do have a lot of community parties. But like most of the community parties, sex is not allowed. Um, and so it's, it definitely kind of pushes people to rethink kink. Cause a lot of people do come into kink with like 50 shades of bullshit in mind. And, and yeah, <laughs> that, that, that's, that's what I call that, that movie's franchise. And, and they think that like, Oh, kink and sex, it's the same thing. It's like, well, no, not really. So I, I definitely appreciate that aspect of threshold being a little bit more welcoming and I think it actually makes it a little bit easier to get into kink when you have that on the mind of like, oh, there, there's there's this whole piece of pressure that isn't involved at Threshold. I'm not worried about like, you know, uh, like being drunk and being pushed or like, I'm not worried about, I was like, oh, am I going to have to have sex? It's like, no, you can come in and, and watch and maybe you can do kinky things, but you can also just enjoy the environment. Yeah, and I definitely think there are pros and cons to both types of environments because yes, you can have a really fun time in a space that allows a little mm-hmm. bit more to go on, but it's also going to be higher risk. That's the trade-off and spaces that don't do any vetting are less of a pain in the butt to attend, but when you have a community of people who are really members and attend on a regular basis and everybody kind of knows each other again, it's a little bit more intimate, it's a little bit safer, you know, sometimes more fun things can go on because everybody's vetted and you know there's a little bit more sort of mutual trust going Mm -hmm. on in the crowd and so have I you know done a scene (laughs) in a room like where I was having sex and like well I was watched by a bar full of people yes (laughs) but like does that happen in a lot of kink spaces? No, Absolutely yeah. not. And have I had disasters happen in that particular space that shall remain nameless, like somebody trying to insert themselves into my scene or doing something gross or mm-hmm. unwelcome? Absolutely. Yeah. So, I, yeah. I have also done sexy kinky <laughs> shenanigans in in clubs that I would I would think differently of now. <laughs> so I get it. I get it. I think that's mm-hmm. what people are imagining when they think like kink club or BDSM club, and they're thinking that sex club and BDSM club are the same, which they're not. On top of that, you know, they think there's going to be like all of this edgy stuff going on. And no, a lot of times it's not allowed at all for everybody's safety and shouldn't well, yeah, be. Yeah. <laughs> and like, like, I mean, it sounds like we've both been to similar clubs where they had kind of, it was a much looser vibe to it. And like, yes, those are they're 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 super fun and they definitely have a place and i know that clubs sort of like that exist in la but i'm not familiar enough with them to really talk about them because like i have especially be in like threshold but also the other clubs like there's there are rules in place and it's it's a lot more controlled than the controlled chaos kind of the the kink clubs that are uh, that are also bars that are also sex clubs that are also other things um which is also again something that LA has that's kind of unique. Um, I know I'm so I'm from Texas and we begin to touch on this and get more in depth on this in another episode. But like Texas, a lot of the kink happens in takeovers of uh, swinger clubs. And so you're going to get you're going to have that mix of the swinger crowd and the kink crowd together. Anybody who's new who comes into that sort of an environment is going to get a very different picture of what kink is about than if they come into threshold and especially especially if they come in on like one of our nerd nights where there's a bunch of people playing cards against humanity in one corner i was gonna say like board games (laughs) yeah yeah it's like cards against humanity board games in one corner this past week there was somebody playing there was somebody doing wax play in the other corner and then i had a scene like down in the hallway what you're gonna see at these more like uh looser um, swinger based kink stuff is going to be very different than what you're going to see if you actually go to a BDSM kink dungeon space. 
Um, the, the rules are going to be very different. The, just the vibe in general is going to be very different, uh, which is why I, I tell people, like, if you have multiple spaces, if you're new to LA, if you're going to new, to new England, like try to get into every club and see where you fit. Like some are gonna, some are gonna fit your vibe more than others. And it's just a matter of kind of experimenting with the club and finding one that's going to work for you. Absolutely. And if anybody missed last season, I did do an episode with Panda on actual um, BDSM club etiquette and how Mm -hmm. that differs from other types of events like play parties or munches, that sort of thing, and what you can expect and how you can prepare. So if you're hearing this and you're thinking some of those things sound like a lot of fun, but you don't know where to start, maybe kind of rewind a little bit, check out last (laughs) season, catch up on all the stuff that you missed. It's good content. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it sounds like, you know, there's a lot to explore. And that's also in a, a small geographical area. Just all of that stuff is kind of around where you're at. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, definitely, I recommend if you're going to travel somewhere new, you can certainly go on like FetLife or, you know, talk to people and see if you can find out like, what are the hotspots in the place that you're traveling to? Kink tourism Mm -hmm. is actually a thing where people will check out, you know, different clubs and venues when they go on vacation, they'll have like one night that's like kinky night and they'll check out a new venue. And that can be a really fun thing to do. Just keep in mind that, you know, like we were saying, not only do rules vary from dungeon to dungeon and club to club and party to party, but also state laws vary quite a bit. So things that might be legal or okay in one state may not be in others. And if you're going to be a tourist, you should definitely (laughs) not be an asshole tourist (laughs) and kind of um, brush up on those things before you go. For sure. And and, and much in the same way you would do um, with a munch, like if you are hesitant and you're, you're unsure about a club, a lot of clubs um, either through FetLife or their social media, like, reach out to them, be like, Hey, I'm visiting LA. I'm, I'm new. I just moved here, whatever your situation is. Can you tell me a little bit about the club? Are there parties coming up that I, that are good for, for people? Like how y- you can, you can get the vibe of the place by, by communicating with, with the club itself and, and seeing what they say. Um, it's, it's not as scary as you think, I promise. Yeah. And it can be a lot of fun. And I always remind people like, just go in with like the expectation that you're going to check it out and get the lay of the land and just kind of be relaxed and, you know, and try to have a good time. But don't go in with the expectation that like, I'm going to meet somebody brand new and have this like, you know, super crazy scene with a stranger Mm -hmm. in the middle of the dance floor. Because if that's (laughs) what you're hoping for, you're probably going to be a little bit disappointed. Yeah. But that doesn't mean you and have a great time. I think it's about expectation. And, you know, if you start to attend on a regular basis, and then you get to know people and people realize that you're respectful, and you're a safe player, that's going to open doors for you. Kind of charging in there, like a bull in a china shop, not so much. Yeah, that's definitely going to give you the reputation that I don't think you want. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I think that's some great information. Thank you for having this conversation with me. And I look forward to more chats with our new official West Coast correspondent. Uh, thank you very much, Sonny. It was a great time talking with you. Uh, I'm going to get back in the chopper and go check out the rest of LA. Thanks as always for listening to Naughty Talk. Our show is available on most popular podcast platforms. For updates, to submit a request to be a guest on the show, to write in with questions for our hosts or request lifestyle advice, head over to the show's page at SunnyLeeMain.com. You'll also find information about my novels, including my Turn the Key series, which are dark erotica with themes of hypnosis, BDSM, and sometimes a little bit of magic. All books feature different kinks and are queer inclusive. I hope you've enjoyed the show and you join us again next time.